This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching at this time. It may be that we have those watching for the very first time today, and I would like to especially welcome you. I'd like to thank those who watch every time that we're on the air. And today we want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. If you're not certain where the church is located, well, then you call us and we'll help get that information for you. Today our subject on getting to know your Bible is God's viewpoint on the church. Almost everyone has a point of view about the church, all kinds of ideas about it. But what is God's viewpoint? How does God feel about it? Stay tuned as we discuss that today. And we continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course. We want to pause right now so that you can learn more about the free Bible course and you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. When we began to think about the church, I, I began to think about what book of the Bible says a lot about it. And, of course, you can read about the church in, in so many different places throughout the Bible. But one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul talks so much about it, and that's the book of Ephesians. And what I'd like to do now is to read from the third chapter of that book, the book of Ephesians. And I want to begin with verse 8, and I'll be reading through verse number 11. To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, everyone has their point of view about the church. But I'm not concerned today about what other people think about it. I would like to consider God's. You see, the only thing that really matters or all that should matter is how does God feel about it? What is God's perspective? What is God's viewpoint? And the verses that we just read from Ephesians chapter 3 are telling us that the church was in the mind of God in eternity. There's never been a time that God did not have it in mind. Go back to the text, Ephesians 3, where Paul had said that he was less than the least of all saints and he had been given the grace of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ among the Gentiles, and he was to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
and which had been hidden from the beginning of the ages. And, and here in verse 10, he begins to explain something about that which had been hidden, that to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the, by the church. And that was in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the church was in the mind of God in eternity. There has never been a time that he did not have it in mind. You see, the church is in, was in God's scheme of redemption for the human race. In Genesis, the third chapter, and in verse 15, there the Lord said, I will put amnity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was a promise in the very beginning of time that God was going to bring a redeemer into the world through the seed of woman to deal with the sin problem brought on by man's yielding to the temptation from Satan. And so that was a promise about Christ in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Later, the apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians 4 and verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Jesus Christ came into this world through the seed of woman without the seed of man being involved. Well, someone says, well, what does that have to do with the church? It has everything to do with it. Because Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman who came into this world, through the virgin, by way of the virgin birth, was the one who died upon the cross of Calvary to purchase the church. It was purchased with his blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. So the church was in the mind of God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when God made that promise. The church was in the mind of God when he came to Abraham over in Genesis the 12th chapter. And he told Abraham, Get thee up out of thy country and from thy kindred unto thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And so Abraham was to leave his homeland, his father, and his, the home of his nativity, and God was going to direct him. And he was promised that the Lord would bless him, bless his seed. Later in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, and in verse 18, there the Lord said to Abraham that uh, in your seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. You see, the church was in the mind of God when he made that promise to Abraham. Someone says, how could that mean that, that, that the church was in the, uh, in the mind of God when he made that promise to Abraham? Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, the uh, third chapter, we have a, a statement made about the seed of Abraham. A look at verse number 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. The fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ was the seed of Abraham. He came into the lineage of Abraham. And so when he made that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and repeated it in Genesis 22, he had the church in mind because he had in mind Jesus Christ who would die for the church upon the cross of Calvary. Then in Isaiah the second chapter, Isaiah made a prediction about the Lord's house. And he said, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. That is, all nations would flow unto the house of the Lord. And many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. When, when Isaiah made that statement, when he wrote that, God had the church in mind. Someone says, but it talks about the Lord's house and not the Lord's church. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 15, Paul said, but, but if I tarry long, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is the house of God. When God had, I, had Isaiah to prophesy about the coming of the house of God in Jerusalem, he had the church in mind. You see, the church was in the mind of God in eternity. And then in Daniel, the second chapter, in 20, verse 20, 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. So when that statement was made in Daniel 2, 44, God had the church in mind. The church was in the mind of God when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness of Judea in Matthew chapter 3, and he was preaching this message. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God had the church in his mind when Jesus began to preach after his uh, temptation in the wilderness. Matthew 4 and verse 17. And he began to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And God had the church in his mind when in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And that which God had in his mind in eternity was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And the church that God had in His eternal purpose began in the city of Jerusalem and it is recorded in your Bible in the second chapter of Acts. It was in that city. Men were gathered all from all over the then known world and it was the apostle Peter who preached to them about Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection and he declared to them in Acts 2.36 that the one they had crucified was both Lord and Christ and the people inquired, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized 
for the remission of your sins. And about 3,000 were baptized that very day, verse 41. And they were added to the church that God had in His mind in eternity. In Acts 2 and verse 47. You see, that's the development of the church through the ages. God had the church in His mind in eternity. There's never been a time that He did not have it in His eternal plan. Well, someone says, now, Billy, if that's the case, why, why are there so many churches today? Well, let, let me say that it's not because that's really Jesus' desire. In John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus is praying to his Father and he says, Neither pray I for these alone. But, but for them also which shall believe on me through thy word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us. There's not a multiplicity of churches today because that's the way Jesus wanted it. And it's not God's desire. God's desire is, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And so there's one body, and all men, Jew and Gentile alike, can be reconciled to God in that one body. And no, neither are there many churches, because that's what's taught in the Bible. Because we read in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all. You see, God doesn't want it that way. Jesus doesn't want it that way. And nor is it taught in the Bible. Jesus warned there would be those that would teach things that would be contrary to sound teaching. In Matthew 7 and 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So Jesus warned about those that would teach things contrary to what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul, in addressing the elders of Ephesus, said, Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Why, Paul was saying that even among the leadership of the church, there would be those that would try to draw away disciples after them and bring about a departure Paul warned about a departure from the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And so Paul warned about a departure not from some of the faiths, but the faith. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. There was just one faith the days of the Apostle Paul. So there was a warning. So what led to all the confusion in the religious world today? Well, God had a pattern for the government of the church. He still has that pattern revealed in the Bible. Uh, a simple outline of it is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, are the saints which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So in that passage, Paul and T Timothy were addressing the, the bishops, that is, elders or the pastors of the church. And he was addressing the deacons and he was addressing the members of the church that were at Philippi. You see, it was God's plan to have men who are referred to as elders, pastors, bishops, presbyters, overseers, shepherds of the flock of God. All of those are terms that refer to the same office. And there were qualifications for, that one had to meet in order to serve in that capacity. We have those qualifications laid out for us uh, very plainly in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And he talks about the qualifications of an elder. And he also gives the qualifications of a deacon. And we have some of those listed again in the book of Titus. So a man had to be qualified to serve as an elder, to serve as a deacon in the church. And again, I state that the word elder, the word pastor, the word presbyter, the word bishop all refer to the same office, but there was to be a plurality of those in each local congregation. Every congregation was autonomous, that is, it was independent, and it was to be self-governing, and there was to be a plurality of elders in each congregation. For example, in Titus, the second chapter, Paul is explaining why he left Titus in Crete. He said that... Uh, for, or Titus chapter 1 rather, for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders, that's plural, in every city as I commanded you. And so there was to be a plurality of them in every church. It is not God's plan, never has been God's plan for there to be one man referred to as the pastor that just one man would be the pastor of the church. There's to be a plurality of them. And in the, in the beginning of the Church of the New Testament, in each local congregation, there were men called elders. And serving with those elders were the deacons. And all of the members were under the leadership of those men who referred to as elders or the shepherds of the flock of God. Now, all went well for a while. And, but there were, began to be a desire on the part of some to elevate oneself above all of the other elders. But this was a departure away from the plan of God. Eventually, some referred to were as the chief elder or the chief bishop in a local congregation.
And as time went by, finally, there was one man selected to be the head of the church on earth. This was in 606 A.D. And this was the beginning of a major departure away from the church. The man was referred to as the Pope, or the word Pope simply means Papa, or the head of the church on earth. This brought about some protest. There were those who began to protest against this major departure away from the faith. Those protests eventually led to what is referred to even in secular history as the Protestant Reformation Movement. I remember when I was in public school in the ninth and 10th grades, when we began to study history, we studied the Reformation Movement in America and how people protested against the departure away from the faith and the beginning of uh, departure from the Bible. And these men did not have in mind starting another church, but rather they said what we need to do is reform the apostasy. And I think that we are indebted to these men in, in, a, in a great number of ways because they caused people to begin to study the Bible for themselves. And there were a number of men who were involved in that Protestant Reformation movement, men who began to question whether or not that was the right approach. They said rather than us trying to reform, why don't we restore? Rather than reform the apostasy, let's restore the original. And to me, that just makes a lot of sense. Rather than trying to re restore or reform that's, that has gotten off a of track, why don't we just go back to the Bible? Let's see what the Bible says about the church in the very beginning, and, and let's find out what the how the church began. Well, let's find out what people did in the beginning to do to be saved. Let's find out how they worship. Let's find out how they live their lives. And let's restore in the world today that which existed in the first century. So there were men throughout America and other parts of the world who began to advocate that. They did not get together in some type of a group and decide that. It, it, they were independent of one another. And about the same time, they began to advocate the restoration of New Testament Christianity. And this is a plea that is valid today. We need to go back to the Bible and to speak where the Bible speaks, to be silent where the Bible is silent, to have a thus saith the Lord for the things that we teach, and the things that we practice in matters that pertain to our soul salvation. 1 Peter 4 and 11 says, If any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So here were men who said, Let's reform the apostasy. And then some of them came out of that Reformation movement, and they said, Rather than us uh, trying to reform the apostasy, which in that Protestant Reforma Reformation movement resulted in the beginning of what we refer to today as denominations. Prior to that, they did not exist. Prior to that, they were unknown because they were not discussed in the Bible at all. And so these men said what we need to do is not go back to the 
apostasy and reform it, they said, let's go back to the original and let's restore it. Now think with me. If we would just go to the Bible today and do what the Bible says one must do in order to be saved, which is believe on Christ, repent of sin, confess faith in Christ, and be baptized, and we'll be added to the church by the Lord. We'll worship on the Lord's day by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, observing the Lord's Supper, listening to the Word of God taught, and praying to God, doing all the things that God requires of us in worship today. And if we would be faithful to Christ and faithful to the church, serve Him to the end, why would we not all be alike? We would if we would lay aside the things that divide. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. I know we all have a tendency to be that way on some things, but let's think about our souls and let's go back to the Bible. This is happening all over the world. There was a preacher who told me about an opportunity he had to preach in, in a college or a university in Russia. Young lady wanted to speak to him, wanted him to come to their home, said, my father wants to talk to you. And the preacher thought, now I have an opportunity to share the gospel with this family. But when he got to the home, he was alarmed because he wasn't asked questions uh, answering question, he was asked questions. This man began to ask him one question right after another. And the man said, he asked him, what do you teach a person must do to be saved? How do you worship God? What do you teach people must do to worship God? And he could not understand why this man from Russia would be asking him questions like that. And finally the man said to him, my daughter and I, have been members of a certain religious order or a certain religious church here in this, in this city for a long, long time. We read our Bibles and we learn the things that they were doing were not taught in the Bible. We just worship at home. We read in the Bible that you're to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And, and, and so I baptized her in the bathtub and she baptized me. We read in the Bible that on the Lord's day, on first day of the week, that you, you sing, so we just sing. And that you observe the Lord's Supper, so we have the Lord's Supper. And we read the Bible. I read the Bible uh, in, in our service. And he said, what do you think about that? And the preacher extended his hand to that man. He said, you're my brother. He says, this is what churches of Christ in America are trying to do. Go back to the Bible. And just do what the Bible says. Let's, let's respect what God says. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36529.
1-877-711-5280 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>